form. So do you want to do the the clap on on three? Sure. Okay. One, two, three. Three. We totally messed that up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, well, I'll do three, two, one, and then we'll do it again. All right. Ready? Okay. Three, two, one. Uh, Close enough. We'll 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 sync it up. Uh, It should be fine. we can we can match it in uh, uh, some other programs that we have. So, yeah, I guess you know. Welcome to the first inaugural episode zero zero one of the Dad Pod. Um, my name is Joe Owens, uh, and this is my co-host Eddie Rathke. But you might What's prefer up? to go by Edward. <laughs> <laughs> Edward E. Rathke, Eddie. Most people in real life call me Eddie, but uh, professionally. Well, professionally, people call me Ed, which uh, it's not a name that anyone else calls me unless they work with yeah. me. Is that <laughs> is that weird? Is it weird to be called something in like one aspect of your life and uh, have nobody else in like your personal life call you that? Um, no, I guess because it became normal for me sort of a long time ago. Or I just don't really think about it. I don't really like my name that much, so I don't really care about it. <laughs> yeah, um, that's... That's kind of weird because I I feel the same way not, in in a general sense. I don't want to uh, like like go too hard on it because I got it from my dad. It's my dad's name, but it's um you know it, it it's just kind of it's just kind of a name. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, for better or worse, uh, it's you know it's my oldest son's name too. Um, I just kind of wanted to keep it going because my dad's dad was also Joseph and he was joseph and then i was joseph and then you know i was like well i'm just gonna yeah. i'm just gonna keep this going and we didn't know if we were gonna have another kid or not and so we did uh and he is not joseph because we're not trying to do like a george, george foreman thing where every kid he has is named george uh yeah we weren't That'd trying to do that cool though i mean it would be but it man i think that would get confusing because he's got a lot of kids so yeah i think he just calls would. them by their number one through five yeah i mean why not that's that yeah, seems like brilliant. a why pretty why good bother? they're all george yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah we man i don't know we've uh just for audience background we kind of take this for granted but we met oh well over 10 years ago i think it was right around 2009 or 2000 maybe even eight no nah, probably not eight 2009 or no because i uh, so i think the first time we met in person though was at eight right, oh sorry yeah i, I sh- I should have specified met like online where we start we're sort of in the same groups of writers trying to become writers it seemed like cuz like I, I definitely knew you before we met at the yeah. AWP like we had I you know chatted and uh, it was when Twitter wasn't an absolute uh dumpster fire uh that we know it to be in 2023 um yeah gosh it was so many years ago but it was it which one was it was it Minneapolis or was it another one uh, Minneapolis is the last AWP that I went to, so I don't remember what the first one was, but it's when we were there to table for the Lit Pub. Yeah, yeah, which was man, that's a that's just throwing it so far back, but that was that was a really fun experience. <laughs> so uh, for the for the uninitiated, uh, Eddie and I are both uh, writers. Uh, Eddie's a bit more prolific than I am, but um, 
we have been doing writing of some form or another probably for all of our lives i mean at least i know i have and i yeah uh, it's sort of uh, the preferred way of uh, expressing whatever uh, creativity i may or may not have uh, that's uh, left out to the to the jury um and we sort <laughs> of met doing you know independent literature stuff in the in the early teens um we'll say the early yeah. teens late aughts um, but we that was we when sort of, independent literature was really kind of a a thing. It's sort yeah. of a sort of collapsed. <laughs> I would yeah, say it's in not, like the last eight years. I'm not I'm not entirely sure what happened. Um, I, I don't know if uh, folks like us sort of uh, got older and married and had kids and had less time for because we were doing a lot of free work uh i feel like is yeah. the best way to it's the best way to put it unfortunately um it was when uh getting paid with um maybe a byline uh, was uh, more common <laughs> and acceptable and uh people hadn't really given it the pushback maybe they should have uh, that you see today um but we you know that's where we we started we cut our teeth and and now we're 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 older and we're dads and we were still playing games. Um, Eddie's approaching 40 in a couple years. Um, I have crossed the 40-year-old threshold, but we are still playing games. And that, I suppose, is where we started with the idea for this. It's We just liked talking about games in a way that not very many podcasts were serving. And it seems like the good ones keep, unfortunately, closing down because of uh, corporate uh, this, that, and the other. Uh, I don't want to yeah, speculate exactly. too much. I mean, there's only so much public-facing knowledge we have for certain things, but... Um... I would say that there's definitely a noticeable contraction of games journalism, though. Um, and one of the first things to go is podcasts, because you know you have to hire a team of people to produce something that maybe not that many people are listening to. Whereas if, right. it's, just writing, if it's just writing an article, just, just one person and an editor have to be there for that. Um, right. Yeah, so. and it's it, you know there's there's equipment involved, which is not always super expensive, but it can be. I mean, you can. It's kind of like any hobby or prob- anything like that where you can kind of pay as much as you want to pay. Um, but you know, you got to do equipment. There's a lot more things that can go wrong. Um, you know, that is time that people have to take that could be spent doing other things that might be more <laughs> monetarily <laughs> profitable. Uh, yeah. So. So that's why we decided to jump right in and do a podcast here in the year of our Lord Tim Rogers, 2023. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, tr- try it out. Maybe maybe give listeners uh, who are in similar boats to us something to listen to, something to vibe with. Yeah, and I think that, you know, so much of gaming talk is about, you know, the individual experience of it, or sometimes it's like the e esports or even, you know, friends and couch co-op and things like that but i don't know that i've ever read anything or really listened to anything where it's about people people's experiences with games with their kids yeah um, yeah i think so it's a market that it, that is looking for is looking for, it's like a hole that's looking for like something to, to to go in there and take up the take up the reins yeah especially because like you know Games journalism, when it started however many years ago, there's a lot of young single people, and those people have grown up and had families, but they, I feel that the sort of uh, 
desire for objectivity in journalism has kind of always kept the the part about being a parent removed from games journalism you know yeah for 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 good reason games journalism is about the games and the people who make the games but i think that uh you know most people are not making games and most people don't know the people who make games but lots of people play games and lots of people have experiences like what we're gonna like like us (laughs) just playing with their kids yeah and and it's it's so different than you would think and that i ever for a hundred percent ever thought of you know when you're you're uh you're like a okay roll back time and we're uh 10 years old again and you're thinking okay someday i'm gonna play some cool games with my kids and you're thinking about it in a very general way right you're you're just thinking about like the awesomeness of the moment but you're not thinking about necessarily thinking about the the connections that you might have you know um i i would like to at some point um in in some episode maybe this episode maybe not we'll see uh talk about maybe like our experience with like our parents in games as we were growing up and then Mm. what we're uh you know doing these days uh with uh with our own kids and uh maybe trying to like i don't know I've, i've done a lot of reflection about like putting myself in my dad's shoes and trying to think about what he felt like what his experiences were <laughs> like doing this with me where like I was completely excited and just super happy to to do it with him and, and see if you know because he wasn't like super into him but he did it because I liked it and I want to see uh, try to imagine what it was like for him to, uh, to 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 do that in this sort of like very unknown market because games in the, the 1980s and early 90s were not a guaranteed money-making success uh no it suffered one or crash even, <laughs> or even just like something that interested most people like my parents never played any games with me they never really had any interest in playing video games um and i back then i never really thought about them playing games with me it just didn't seem like just like what well, why would my dad play a video game with me but he could have yeah. <laughs> you know? right no that's and, uh, i mean i think i was just like really insistent that he try it uh and I mean, my dad is literally, I mean, he was born like three days after Pearl Harbor. Like, so like, you know, he's from a, he's from a certain generation that uh, yeah. really doesn't um, have much, uh, typically, uh, historically much uh, interaction with the, with the video game industry or the market. Yeah. What I found interesting about playing video games, and um, it's actually like the reason why I ended up starting a Substack at all is that playing games with my son sort of created like a bridge through time to the kid that I was. And I watching him experience things made me remember things that I didn't know that I remembered about my oh, own yeah. self. <laughs> you know? It's like, un- it's like memory unlocked, you know? Yeah. Uh, exactly. It's like when you're playing a video game and you have all those like, uh, maybe they're like photo like icons or something. And every time you unlock it, you know, it shows you what it is and you can go back and like replay it. And that's like legitimately how it feels sometimes unlocking these memories, playing with the kids. Yeah. Like it's, I don't it's, have it's a crazy. first. Yeah, and I don't have a first memory with like Mario. I don't know when I first experienced Mario because it's so long ago. But yeah. I I have seen my son's first experience with Mario, and he might not remember it because you know he was little, but uh, right. I'll remember it. yeah and it's probably similar to how to what mine was it's just kind of like a slack jawed awe yeah it's uh you're making uh you're manipulating an environment or uh, a figure within an environment um in a way that uh 
I, I, I don't want to say it's intuitive because it, it certainly isn't for someone who doesn't play games, uh, <laughs> a contr- a, like a controller really, you know, with as many buttons as they have now and stuff, it might as well be like an alien object because yeah, it's, it's not an intuitive way to, to maneuver something, but for people who grow up with it and possibly, you know, kids being able to really quickly figure things out in the way that like the movements correspond to like whatever inputs they're giving them. Um, it's really cool to it's really cool to watch them. Their their, their brains yeah. are so plastic that they they they're, they're just like soaking up all this stimulation and doing cool things. Yeah, they just suck it up and now it's a part of them. They don't even have to think about it. Yeah, like um, and 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 it's so much more common, I think, with kids. Like all kids play games of some kind, it seems like. There's Yeah. Yeah, I uh there's a YouTube channel that sometimes um it's like what gaming is i forget what they're called but it's something to do with gaming for people who have never gamed i think his girlfriend like never played video games and he handed okay. her the uh, breath of the wild and okay. he did he did his best not to give her any advice or tell her how to play it all besides like you know this these buttons do this but sure. even that he tried not to do because the game tells you how to do that yeah. and uh he just he found it so interesting the ways that to him with his brain growing up in video games, mm-hmm. he knows like when you look at when you look at what you're looking at, you're like, okay, I know where to go. But she yeah, didn't and, have those like and, instincts and how, to, <laughs> and how to manipulate. Like if I don't see that what I'm I'm looking for, I know how to move the 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 camera, which you don't probably even think of as a camera, um, right. in a way that like I I can I know how to make the 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 man on the screen look over there and see. <laughs> So I can see what's over there. I, I can make him look in that direction. And we absolutely, I think, take that for granted. Yeah, because he, uh, he ta- he, in this video, he kind of shows how she went, she, I don't know, she just like did goofy things and went to like very strange ways to get across certain terrain. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, well, you know, and he's just kind of watching like, why is she doing it this way? But at the same time, it's like curiosity. It's like, it's interesting that she's doing it this way. Because yeah. she doesn't have any like memories of being like, ah, this is probably an inefficient and bad way to solve this problem. Yeah, there's there's no frame of reference. There's there's yeah, the, exactly. It's, it's, it's uh, maybe akin to like learning a brand new language with new characters, like mm. uh, maybe yeah. like learning like something with like the Cyrillic alphabet or you know uh, Korean or Japanese with you know kanji, uh, where you have no idea what anything is or does or sounds like, um, but you're going to try your best you know to 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 work your way through it like as you go like maybe if you're learning on your own especially or even if it's like if someone gave you comprehension to like read kanji but then they're just like okay put a sentence together you're like uh what's what's the grammar right i don't figure figure it out (laughs) yeah or or you know the worst well i don't want to say worst case scenario because a lot of people i think learn this way but they uh they, they 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 figure it out on their own they they try to make it make sense in in the right. way that they know that you know they're they're trying to put their frame of reference for like their world their language on it okay well i guess this is where i'm going to put the adjective and uh where do, where does the adverb go does this does this language have adverbs so i i should probably look into that you know kind of thing like baptism by fire just like that's probably why <laughs> yeah. like immer- from what i've understood that you know like immersion uh immersing yourself and uh the the culture and the language like actually being there is like the, the best way to learn a language because yeah of, of, because of how much stuff you pick up by listening and then trying to then do on your own yeah and it's just kind of i mean you even 
you hear it when you have a kid, how they're trying to put sentences together based on rules that weren't taught to them, but they just kind of observed. Mm-hmm. So like uh, it, my my son, he used to say uh, we's house instead of our house. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's that like, makes sense. That's not... I assume some like uh, maybe some gangsters from Chicago might say that too. Well, we house <laughs> over there, uh, but like, yeah, uh, that was actually that's that's funny you brought that up because growing up, um, uh, despite the fact that uh, you know my graduate degrees are in English, um, I was really terrible at like diagramming sentences uh, mm. and doing a lot of the grammar stuff because all of what I knew it was by sound mostly, and so I would do what what sounded correct, what felt right. And um, I never stopped doing that. It's kind of like all English and writing and everything that I learned. It was all by like gut instinct with like coaching along the way, but I could still like never diagram a sentence to save my life because I would always like forget like the exact terminology to use. I would just be able to tell you which, which one is wrong, which one is right. I can tell you that this one is just not correct. And this one is, Uh, and I, I, I don't know, like, I think that, I don't know that that's a way that I would recommend people do things because uh, it was very <laughs> lucky uh, that I happened to be right when I was right. Um, but like, I don't know, the brain is weird. Uh, the way that kids learn is weird, but it's it's so fascinating to watch. Yeah. And it really, I mean, it's just, they're just tr- experimenting. You know, all, all of childhood is experimenting. You especially notice that when you, uh, when you have one of these little people in your house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they just go around doing weird stuff and you're like all right wh- yeah, wh- yeah. Where are you, because what, it, are you, what are you doing it wouldn't occur to you or you know your wife or maybe even like their own sibling to like do it that way but like they're very clearly like they have a mission they they very clearly like sort of like thought it out like i'm gonna do it this way because this is what makes sense to me um i don't know that's and that's how my kids approach approach games uh they they play them so differently than from like the way that i do uh you know my oldest is still really into Minecraft. And so he approaches so many games as what can I create in this world? Mm. Um, he really gravitates toward being able to like build things. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons he, he really likes the new tears of the kingdom because one of the mechanics is like the ability to build stuff. Like you've never been able to build in a Zelda game before. And he just like, he's really sort of gone down the rabbit hole of, uh, the, the the creations for the like the gizmos and the gadgets and the vehicles like he just <laughs> he loves to do that and I think it comes back to because like his one of his first loves aside from Mario uh, was Minecraft uh, which he's put right. hundreds of hours into you know like he just he so he's got that what can I build in whatever game that he he plays and some games he bounces off of because it doesn't have enough interactivity with the world hmm that's interesting because. That is, I don't know. I've never played, I guess maybe because I've never played a game like that. Or I, now I have, like a Dragon Quest Builders. But uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. growing up, we... That's a we, really good game, by the way. I love that game, yeah. I guess the closest that I had to that growing up was um, like SimCity. Mm-hmm. You know, where you, you're yeah. you building a city. Um, but at the same time as you're building, you're very much following... Uh, well, maybe it was a lot more flexible than I'm giving it credit for. It's different than Minecraft, though. You yeah, because Minecraft is like, yeah, Minecraft is like, if you have the resources uh, and and the, I don't know, the blueprint in your head, you can just you can build it. It's just available to build. It yeah. encourages you. Well, it encourages you by basically like stranding you out there and saying, "All right, here you go. 
here's like one <laughs> tool which is like your hand to punch the dirt uh if uh-huh. i remember the way the minecraft starts and then you know go for it go forth and create you know your kingdom and yeah man a lot of these kids do some really incredible things in minecraft yeah how old were your kids when uh they started playing on their own i think i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna try to do some math in my head uh they really started i guess the year or year and a half before the pandemic so i'm gonna say like 17 2018 and that would have made them like five and uh, three although when my my youngest was three he didn't really have a good concept on the motor skills required to to play so he would mostly just uh, just make the thing, uh, you know, he would make, for example, he would just like make Mario like jump into pits. And that was like his version of fun because it would like, he, he could make <laughs> it do a thing and it would have a response uh, that he could like predict. And then, you know, he would, he would enjoy that. Um, yeah. 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 I'd so say I my think, son, I think three he, and five. Okay. Yeah. He, I mean, he's four now and he, he can play. I think before you're four, it's kind of like you don't have the coordination to really figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he can play now, but he true. he prefers to just watch me play. Um he I think he likes we switched play to playing Kirby instead of Mario because uh it's harder to die in Kirby. You yeah. don't like just really, fall, you don't fall down pits. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 100%. Um, so he's having fun with that. And one of the nice things about Mario Kart 8 on the Switch is that you can turn on um like the the auto go so they just Oh yeah, the all the yeah, the yeah, assist. The assist the, so they they really so he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't drive straight off every single cliff. Oh um, yeah. But uh, I, had, I had that problem with my youngest because we actually we had it way back on like the Wii U, and uh, I just mm-hmm. had it, at the time hadn't felt like buying uh, another copy of the same game, and he uh, he would just drive off all the time, and it would be frustrating for him because he couldn't manipulate it the way his brother could, and like right. what he didn't realize is that like two years is a big gap when your entire life is encapsulated within like a six year span or less like like two years is a significant amount of like practice that you know his older brother had that he didn't yeah i mean it, two years when you're four is half your life two years when you're six is a third of your life like yeah half my life ago i was a, uh, I was about to start college yeah it's, it's hard to, <laughs> it's uh, when you start like dividing by two and realizing how old you were that like because it, it doesn't feel like it should have been that long ago but no it was it, no. it, it seems like a very long time ago you know, yeah, and that's 20s. kind of the other, the other <laughs> funny thing about playing some of these games with my son is I'll be like, I haven't played this in twenty nine years. Yeah, You're like fuck. <laughs> yeah, and just like, oh my god, how has it been? How's it re- legitimately been three decades? Like, how yeah. much? How has how has time passed? And like, because like for them, like any game that they've ever played has not really been that long ago, and so it's right. like. It's it just kind of it baffles both of them when I'm like I don't I don't remember like give me a second I gotta like remember how to play this I think I've forgotten how to play this and they're like how could you f- forget how to play like you just you pick up you know you just do it you just pick it up and you play he's just like how how do you how do you not know it's like well I mean it's been like you know four times as long as you've been alive <laughs> since I played this so, like, yeah. I mean that just needs so five think, minutes I think part of that too though is like it kind of has to do with the plasticity of their brain where when they pick up a controller because like. When I when we were kids, you know, I played let's say Mario, and then the first time someone put in, you know, Double Dragon or like Turtles in Time, I just knew how to play. Like, yeah. I didn't have to be like, wait, where are the inst- like, wh- what buttons do I push? It's just like, okay, now I'm doing this. 
Yeah. You know? And so I yeah. think for kids, it's more, there's no intellectualization of it. Right. Us, because we have a body of memories and we know that we did this before. We're like, you know, trying to go through an index of like, all right, how do I do this stupid thing? Yeah. And because it's like, okay, is this, okay, do I, does this one have a fixed camera? I mean, hang on. Uh, are you, can you interact <laughs> with the backgrounds? Like, is like, none of that is important when you're, you know, right. five, six years old, four years old, especially not when you're three, you're, when you're three, again, you push a button and if something happens on the screen, you're tickled. Like, it's just like that. Yeah. That rules. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I played, um, almost all of Dragon Quest Eleven with my son. So he would have, that was like most of, let's see. I think, <laughs> I guess it was like, he was three. A lot of the time when he was three, maybe even like starting at two and a half. That's a long game, so. Uh, it's super long, yeah. But he, he just liked hanging out because uh, fight, fight monsters together. He loved Silvando. Oh, uh, well, I mean, everybody loves Silvando, and if they if they don't, uh, they're not trustworthy. I think that's, no, exactly. I think it's fair to say you, you cannot be trusted if you don't like Silvando. And my son would start game. being like, fabulous <laughs> <laughs> that's so good that's so good uh-huh. yeah oh, it was really I funny just, to watch yeah i just i love i i actually i like really love that game i know that uh, you know the, the the hardcore dragon quest purists um prefer some of the other ones but there's just something about 11 with all of its charm that like i can't wait till my kids are old enough to like play it on their own uh right because i think that i think they'll love it i think that so many of the themes that they're like running into now with like some of the books uh, that they're reading or that like I read like to them, um, they're starting to pick up on like, they're starting to gain this cool ability to foreshadow, which kids like don't come equipped with, but like as they get right. older, they're starting to get that. And they're starting to pick up on like, you know, like uh, the way tropes work and things like that. And I just think that Dragon Quest Eleven has so many cool things. It does so many things well without really doing anything too offensive uh, not in the sense of like sensibilities, offensive as in like egregious gameplay difficulty spikes or oh, sure. um, uh, just uh, controls that make it impossible for, you know, uh, a kid to, to, to latch on to. I think it is a really cool game that I really can't wait for them to play someday because yeah. I want to hear all about it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's part of, you know, being a dad with games is like you have memories of games just like you have memories of books and there's something special about when your kid starts telling you about something that you already know about. Yeah. I mean, you, you could be a jerk and just be like, I already know this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it's, it's like, and it's not even like necessarily being a jerk about it. It's like, I find myself uh, trying to uh, just not give any in like inclination that I did already know, because I want him right. to like have that, that unfettered enthusiasm that he wants to share something with me. Um, this has been like t- playing tears of the kingdom. I think tears of the kingdom is going to be an all timer for me because of the fact that I have been playing it uh, at the same exact time as like my son. And like, so we've been sharing like stuff that's been happening back and forth the entire time we've been playing. Um, and it's cra- it's it's big enough that we're both like oh my god i didn't know that was in the game uh, oh wow you did that oh that's really cool um like i think this is going to be a like a, a moment uh, in time that i'm going to be able to look back on and just it's going to be a super fond memory of doing this with him because man it's 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 great and his enthusiasm for it is just endless and like i like i always find myself wanting to know what like the latest cool thing that he did in it or 
right. what he can show me that will like help me because like he like figures stuff out, especially on the mechanical side of of those gadgets and and the things that you can build because that's just not how my brain works. I don't gravitate toward that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like, you know, it's not just going to be a very fond memory for you, you know, as he grows up, that's going to be one of those memories. That's just like part of him, part of the core of who he is and his relationship with you has been like, yeah, me and my dad played the Zelda game for months and it was awesome. We talked about it. We did stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I told him stuff he didn't know. And like, because like I remember playing like uh, I, my uh, when as I got older, you know, my tastes moved on. So I went from like Mario to like Sega Genesis, and like I remember playing Streets of Rage with my dad, and I was showing him which trash cans had like the food you could eat, which totally at the <laughs> time didn't seem weird, like knocking a trash uh-huh. can over and eat, eating what came out of it. You grow up and you're kind of like that's weird, but um, you know, video games, uh, and like I just th- I, like I just I just sometimes try to imagine because he doesn't my dad you know it wasn't like impactful enough that he remembers so like that's why like I have to try right. to remember like hey dad remember we used to play blah 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 and he's like no nah, not really that was like your thing I just did it because you like to do it and so you know it was just I don't know he's it, we're just I'm just at a point where I'm trying to like relish and savor every moment because I know that you know this will not last forever just like it, I mean nothing does but like. I want to enjoy every single like second that, uh, you know, we're, we're experiencing this thing together. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, those are just powerful memories that you get to share with each other and, uh, yeah, precious memories, you know, it's um, just, man, kid kids, like they're just so smart these days too. Like they figure stuff out so quickly. Like, I mean, I remember trying to explain stuff like when they were younger, but like now they're able to like figure so many more things out on their own because their frame of reference is getting larger and they're able to draw on knowledge. They've, right. you know, like, like long-term knowledge, not just like, because yeah. like, uh, you know, my, my, my son who's uh, seven now is, uh, like, he doesn't really remember our old house and he lived there when he was like four and a half, you know? So like, I've always kind of thought that like right around the age of five is when you start like getting them long-term memories and you know he's you know now he's got two and a half years of a frame of reference for things and so like he's able to explain things that are that are that are cool or that he remembers or like showing me relationships uh that he did not think of before but like it like it's like this epiphany that he has and it's really cool to watch and man like these are like the coolest things like nobody ever tells you like they tell you about like the difficult parts of parenting but they don't tell you about like the really really cool parts where you know you're just gonna like share these moments that are going to be different from like kid to kid and like, you know, year to year. It's just, it's always different. It's always changing. Yeah. And that's kind of, yeah, it's the sharing of moments that does make, you know, life just in general worth living, whether you're doing it with, you know, your kids or your spouse or I don't know, anybody. It's fun to share memories. And I think that's so much cooler to be able to watch someone experience something for the first time and be a part of that. Um, like, yeah, it, it, you can even think of it with like Game of Thrones. You know, if you read yeah. the books and then your friend was watching the show and you ro- you watched the Red Wedding with them. And it's so, like, you you know, it's coming. Yeah. But they have no idea. You know, that's why yeah. those videos became like an Internet sensation. Was yeah, because... because folks knew like and like, you know, the, the show found ways to rip your heart out in various ways that were different from the books. Um, yeah. So like you got to have like some shared experiences, but you also got to have a, I can't wait till they get to this part that I know is going to like, they're, they're going to have, they're going to feel some kind of way about it. Like no one watched the red wedding in game of Thrones and said, yeah, you know, that happened. 
Like no one, that just, that's just not a thing. It's, I don't, I don't think it's in human nature to be able to do that. Like you're going to have an opinion. You might hate yeah. it. Uh, you might be like, Oh my God, that was the craziest thing that the most unanticipated uh, thing that could have happened. Like my mind was going somewhere else and then this happened. Uh, but nobody was going to have like no reaction, like a flat reaction to it. Yeah. I have a friend who, um, this is before the TV show got to that point, but she had started reading them. Maybe, maybe even I recommended them to her, but she lived, I don't remember where she lived far away from me. And uh, yeah. she texted, she texted me right after she read the red wedding. And she was like, I think I'm going to quit reading. And I was like, I don't <laughs> think you are. Yeah. I was like, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You're, you're definitely not. But yeah. And then like an hour later she was back to it. Cause yeah, it's, because- it's too much. It's one of those things. I always remember um, because I was teaching in Korea and my students were all taking a test that I had provided for them about something and so i was just reading you know the uh what is it, a storm of swords just hanging out mm-hmm. yeah minding my own business as you, as you and then, yeah yeah and then i literally gasped like and not just like <gasps> it was i gasped so loud that the entire class stopped what they were doing and looked at me i was like yeah. just this thing happened <laughs> yeah like uh, sorry like I, I i didn't mean to like mess up your test but like i mean you you have a you have a gut reaction to things yeah um, i've never before that or since gasped from something that happened in a book yeah i man i have to think i feel like i feel like i have i just i just can't i'm real bad at coming up with examples off the top of my head uh for for most things <laughs> but I feel like I, I know but it, but for it a is fact just like, that that's it's it, that's like a one out of like five times it's ever happened for me for sure. Yeah, it's it's super rare. I, I, like I remember the first time a book made me cry, and I was like, I don't know, books could do that. And this was, you know, I was twenty three. I was like, I've read a lot of books, and I have never gasped. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I legitimately had like the same reaction, and I because I remember, um, I'm trying to remember the sequence of events because I'm almost wondering if you and our mutual friend Kyle uh, may have recommended the books to me and because I feel like I started reading them right around the time season one was around but like I feel like like I already knew that's when I read them yeah I feel like I knew the Ned Stark ending before the show because I had I had like just read it it was really I feel like it was really close it's almost like I was reading book one and watching season one at the same time if if Mm. I recall um but then I obviously you just chew through the rest because you got to know what happens next after that. Yeah, I uh, the first time I heard of Game of Thrones was I saw the commercial for it. I was oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah. what what's that? And then I you know I looked it up and I was like, oh, it's based on a book. So I I got the book and then I read all five of them before the show started. Yeah, because like the fifth the fifth one had just come out like I don't know a month before the mm-hmm. the show started, and yeah. it's like yeah, you just burn through. 5,000 pages like it's nothing yeah I, I with the yeah I remember that too because it was still when I bought book uh five it was still only in hardback like it was that's how new book five was yeah uh, so like it was it was right around then like it's it's kind of hard to parse the details but it was like I mean I don't know it's it was it was a really cool cultural thing because even though the books had been around uh unfortunately for me as a reader like not knowing about them somehow like for so long like I was, I remember reading them, like, how did I not know this existed before I got to it? Like, why did it take a show being made and like, like the zeitgeist moving forward for me to know about this extremely impressive thing that existed before I knew it? I think the, I think the first one came out in 1995 or 96. Yeah. Like mid 90s. 
Yeah, and the show started in 2011, and yeah, I was al- I was alive that whole time, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I never I never heard of George Martin. Yeah, and I mean, I was like, you know, by that time I had read all of Lord of the Rings. Like, I was into fantasy. Like, I would absolutely yeah. ate it up. Um, it, it it was just it's even now like with all the fantasy that we uh, have both you know chewed through since that it's it's still kind of sets on its own. I, I now I want to go on record as saying and i'm probably gonna get flack for this that i don't think it's the best but i think it is possibly the best at like what it's trying to do it's almost giving you this historical flavor where you're reading it feels like you're reading history um but it's fiction and uh you know i don't think any author really does that better than better than martin yeah i think the thing that he does better than almost everyone I can't really think of someone who does it better than him that writes in fantasy, but uh, is the intrigue part of like yes. the stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people do different things, I think, better than Martin, but the intrigue and just like the way he weaves weaves his web, uh, yeah, is real good. And I, yeah, I just so reread good. the it's... books. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. We're still. We're, we did pretty good. We made it. How long did we, we made it? Thirty-seven minutes without having like one time where we talked over each other. That's pretty good for yeah, a podcast. That is pretty good. <laughs> um, but I reread the books last year, and I was just like, man, these books are still some of the best fantasy. And like when I had read them in 2011, I hadn't read tons of like non Lord of the Rings fantasy, and right. now I've read a lot, and I've read like all the big series, and I would say that. Uh, a song of ice and fire is better than almost all of them yeah i i i think i can easily say that and uh, i mean we we have talked about this obviously off air many times i think the best piece of fantasy that's ever been written uh for my money uh hands down uh i i wouldn't even i wouldn't even give it a a second thought or consideration is the malazan book of the fallen or malazan however uh you personally internalized it over 10 books uh number one i say malazan yeah. So, so yeah, I've, I've heard, I think I've heard three or four different pronunciations. And so, you know, however you want to say it, that's my favorite. Uh, I, I do think it's the best. Um, if you haven't checked it out, you gotta go, you gotta do it. If you consider yourself a fan of fantasy at all, and you have not read, uh, Steven Erickson's, uh, 10 book series, it's, it's incredible. Uh, it has very, very few low points, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to speak as very general. I would like to talk about this maybe on another pod someday because I have hours worth of things to say about uh, the <laughs> Malatzen Book of the Fallen. But I just need to just really stress in this episode that number one, it's finished. You don't have to worry about the author like dying before he finishes the series. Um, the the author has managed to stick the landing that may not be yeah. people's favorite, but I think that I think the landing is stuck. I, 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 I don't think that, I mean, when you're grappling with, I mean, this thing is long, like it's so much longer than a song of ice and fire. And, uh, you can yeah. Google the word counts. Um, if you want, it's, it's incredibly long. I've now read it two and a half times roughly. Um, and it doesn't like, there's no point at which it doesn't like maintain its level of goodness. Each time you read it, it's so good. Um, it is long, but it moves quick. It's got uh, a, a flavor uh, like the text flavors, unlike any other fantasy. Um, and it might come yeah. from the author actually being trained as an anthropologist first and then going back and getting uh, a degree in writing. Uh, it really kind of shows that he just, he cares about this world. If you were to, 
if the world were to end and then, you know, 200 years, someone picks up the Malazan Book of the Fallen and they're reading it, you know, aside from like the fact that there's magic and stuff happening, like someone might be like, is this a historical text from a bygone era? Because it's just right. written in a way that it's so fleshed out. It's like so believable, despite the fact that it's so unbelievable. Um, yeah. I think the other thing that, and something he's mentioned is um, before that, he primarily wrote short stories. Mm-hmm. And so in his mind, he thinks of uh, Malitzan Book of the Fallen as just a gigantic short story collection. And you can kind of feel that because oh, yeah. uh, everything is so scene focused. And a lot of scenes don't necessarily set up the next scene in an obvious way. And so it's kind of like each novel, rather than being just one through line, is like more like, like, like Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire, like, yeah. like those are. It's more like just an accretion of details that builds and builds and builds and builds and yeah. never stops. Um, it's just so the, it's the, insane to me that it that it that it's able to do this successfully. Like what you're talking about, that it does it in yeah. a way that works. Like how? Like how does this work? But it does. <laughs> yeah, my other favorite, and the one I might say that I like it more. I don't whether it's better or not is who cares. But right. uh, it's it's kind of on the exact opposite end of Malatzan because where Malatzan is as epic as epic can be spanning three continents thousands of characters um robin yeah, you're, Hobbs. You're, yeah go go ahead sorry i was just gonna say oh, you're not yeah. even supposed to like remember all the characters in, in, in yeah Malazan. it's like it's it's too it's many designed that way don't let don't let that throw you off but anyway go ahead sorry yeah. my interruption uh, <laughs> enthusiasm <laughs> boiling over <laughs> uh-huh which is good but uh robin Hobbs' realm of the underling elderlings which is basically like uh four trilogies put together or maybe is, it's is farseer it, included in this in yeah this so it's is five this, is, it's five trilogies actually um okay so it start it starts with the farseer trilogy and okay. basically three of those trilogies are first person perspective from one character from you know it it covers like 60 years of his life and uh it's so good but it's much it's a much closer narrative for that reason and much more um i'd say emotional because of that because you're just dealing with one guy having the worst life of lives. <laughs> it's not great. Uh, I, I've, I'm still uh, working my way through the the, the Farseer trilogy, but it, I can verify it's not it's not great. And it yeah, was like has a, it didn't have to be life. this way, but like this is like the way that the cards fall for this character. It's just like, well, one foot in front of the other now, man. Like, I mean, there's no there's nothing else you can really do. Yeah, and even when he gets a happy ending at certain points, um, there's there's another book. And that means that yeah. that happy ending that something happens to that happy ending. Um, it's fleeting. Yeah, th- yeah. Those books are so good. And uh, Robin Hobb, she's not talked about a lot in like great fantasy and things like that. But I think she's one of the best. And she does. She has such like an effortless style. And uh, you know, for people who care about diversity, you know, people also don't talk about her book with regard to that. But uh, you know, there are gender non-conforming characters. There are gay lgbt characters uh you know you got it all yeah it's almost like you can like you can like make like even medieval style fantasy with like like inclusion and it like literally doesn't like hurt anybody it's it's all it's really crazy how that how that happens (laughs) yeah and she she has disabled characters she has everything in there and uh i think because it was like the 90s and the early 2000s and then eventually the like 2010s um it's just people weren't really focused on that kind of stuff. So people still don't really talk about those books as being like good examples of 
almost kind of like an invisible inclusivity like it's just there right characters yeah, characters it, don't like uh you know the, the characters aren't like woke, woke mob is putting you know disabled yeah. people in my castle <laughs> yeah it's like well, how could how could they even get up how could they even get up the stone stairs <laughs> that just doesn't even that wouldn't even happen I'm, my immersion is broken yeah and and yeah, Mazana so, does that too so i think yeah, uh, it with, does. With, with inclusion uh, and especially strong female leads, um, you know, yeah. Robin Hobb obviously is probably has better uh, strong female leads. But man, like, man, these we could just we could legitimately talk about these. Is this, is this a book podcast? <laughs> so, so, and that's the thing. Do we? What is it? That's why we've uh, kicked around calling it the blank cast because I think sometimes we're going to want to talk about books or we're going to want to talk about movies. It's always probably yeah. going to tie back into, uh, you know how we view them, uh, whatever the media is as, you know, as dads, um, and maybe how, uh, you know, our kids have received them. I mean, I'm not going to let my kids read George R. R. Martin yet. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just yeah. don't, you know, I, I'm pretty flexible when it comes to books, you know, I'm not wild about letting my, uh, my nine-year-old is just, he's like, he can't handle anything that has like even the mention of blood in it, like, let alone anything like grotesque. Like I know some of his friends uh-huh. are watching really scary movies and, I like scary movies, but like, I know that like the kid is going to have night terrors from, from things like, right. Like, uh, Oh, my, my kids, the other, just the other day, right. Uh, this was Sunday. Um, they found uh, a cabbage patch doll. It was really old. It was just like on the playground. And my younger one told my older one that it was haunted. And, uh, last night before bed, my nine-year-old told me, uh, dad, I've been having nightmares ever since then. I'm like, well, buddy, that was just yesterday. So, I mean, <laughs> since then is literally one night, but like he, your brother was like literally just like messing with you. I mean, he, he yeah. you know, he was, he was trolling you in the way that only younger brothers can. He's like, cause you know, my seven year old like, it whispered to me and it told me it was going to murder everyone. And so like, he can't, it's like, he can't handle his brother telling him a story about it. An old cabbage patch doll they found on the playground. Like he, he can't handle certain movies. Like you just gotta like, yeah. you gotta pull the dad card. You gotta be like, okay, son, I know your, your friends are watching scream and that's whatever it is. But like, I, all I know is I watched Freddy Krueger way too young, and I had nightmares about that guy until I was like thirteen. Yeah, the guy with the night, the yeah, night my, fans. <laughs> my son is funny because he loves monsters, isn't scared of anything like that, but interpersonal drama, he just can't handle it. So yeah, like, if you, it's it's so weird. You never yeah, know. He loves. He'll like you know if you watch Moana, he loves Taka the fire demon. He's like, oh yeah, yeah this is this is great. But the part where Maui and Moana have like a personal issue he's like turn this off like yeah, don't <laughs> don't like don't like that yeah it's it's uh-huh. you just don't know what's gonna what's gonna trip them up and i'll tell you man like i just i gotta save like the gore like because i can i just look at it as stage blood i can't see movies no matter how gory they are as anything other than like mm. a product um and i don't know for better or worse it's it's hard uh it's harder for me but like my son just you know the mere mention of like like if he bites his cheek you know we have to like look like you know when he's eating and he bites his cheek and it's like is it bleeding and it's like okay now here's the judgment call do we tell him <laughs> got bad news for him like how how's this gonna go yeah. because he just that's just how he is and you know we 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 realize that um so anyway he's got a couple years before he can read about any red weddings or um, yeah you know malazan might actually be more his speed before he gets there but till book probably nine yeah i just want to read book five five to be honest but that one's so (laughs) good 
it's so and good. And you can read anyway. that by you can read that one by itself, you know. I know. Um, so man, I just man, I just I'm, we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to have book book podcast sometime for like a, yeah. when uh, whenever we get some more listeners and they they want it, like because we're ready for yeah. it, we're ready to give it to them. But I think even right. that's kind of part of this, where it's just like you know, kind of how we grew up is people older than us have sort of a I think a strong hierarchical sense of like media forms and video yeah. games is seen sort of like on the bottom where Super bottom. for for us and people younger than us it's really like well uh i read i read books i watch movies i play video games they're all good you know yeah yeah like yeah and and i love it just because different things do you do you, i don't know because you were uh just a couple years younger than me so like but like our our like the media we consumed was actually quite a bit different like there was like an era shift from you know, like the Ninja Turtles, He-Man, Transformers to like the Power Rangers uh, and other other things that I'm uh, I'm totally blanking on. Like there was like that shift toward the beginning to middle of the 90s. Um, and so I was just curious, did you ever have a point where it was like uncool to admit that you liked video games? Because I absolutely did. Um, I, not video games, I don't think. Um, but certain kinds of video games, yes. Yeah. So like... You know, GoldenEye, I don't know when GoldenEye came out, but, like, GoldenEye became... 97. 97, I think. Okay. And so I was 9 or 10. And so, uh, basically, since then, I would say, you know, people were all on board with a certain kind of video game. Yeah. You know? And it pro- probably goes back even to, like, Mortal Kombat and games like that, where it's, like, it's it's <laughs> cool to play Mortal Kombat. It's not cool yeah. to play, you know, uh, Final Fantasy, for example. Right right the best um, games so yeah, exactly those are the best games which we're going to talk about in this podcast at some point thank you <laughs> well maybe we should get to the thing that we had in mind before we even started yeah <laughs> which is we're just gonna bring up a you know one game one of our favorite games that we want to talk yeah. about yeah i think i think we should you go you can go ahead and uh you go first because i feel like i've been uh talking more than i thought i would which uh <laughs> that's that's a, that's a thing that I, that does uh often happen uh sometimes when i uh, get it, like nervous or something in like a, a in-person social situation i start rambling um or if i get really enthusiastic talking about malazans and final fantasies and you know personas and final Fa- and more final fantasies and well, there's a lot of final fantasies i really like so but i'll, I'll yeah. leave uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna leave that for another time and let you talk about uh, your game that you wanted to to bring up for the pod sure so uh this is a game that was one of my favorite games growing up and i actually was able to play it again because of joe uh who sent me a very special little you know super nintendo mini yeah. um, and that game is super mario rpg which came out in 1996 and i still remember the day it came to my house my older brother walking in like he was just carrying nothing like it didn't even yeah. matter yeah uh, just this that. game can't believe that yeah. believe that man yeah just like oh i got this new game yeah uh, i think it was his birthday um but was it, so he was, put it, it in. was it his was it his birthday present or was it just for the house well uh i think it was any video game was all of ours basically like we didn't have a a hoarding mentality i guess um and that's kind of my parents just treated them like that it was like yeah. you know we would get we, we'd get a game on our birthday sometimes we'd get a collective game for christmas yeah. or something like that yeah um 
So even though it was mostly, I guess I mean it was technically his, but I could read, so it was mine yeah. too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you yeah, that's, that's all that you, if you if you got the read the, the ability to read and the will, you're yeah, gonna, and you're I gonna mean, have a good time. It's not like back then we had a TV that he could just like go use by himself. So it was like it was in the family room. We were just yeah. all sitting there. Um, so yeah, he brought it. Mario's on there. I was like, I know Mario. That guy's cool. And then uh, go on this magical journey, and it was. I don't think it was the first time I had seen an RPG because I have a memory of, I think being at uh, my older brother, he's like five years older than me. And he had a friend who had a little brother who was my age. And so we were kind of like collectively a two sets of friends separated by five years. Yeah. And I think I watched that my friend's older brother, my older brother's friend play final fantasy four or possibly chrono trigger. Oh yeah. Um, now we're talking we're we're talking my language. Yeah. And so I think that was my first experience watching a or seeing an RPG, but this was the first one that I actually played. Um and I think that one of the interesting things about Super Mario RPG is that Square had already been uh trying to make RPGs happen in America rather mm-hmm. unsuccessfully so far. Absolutely. Um, so like Final Fantasy 6 was huge in Japan. Yep. In in America, it sold fewer than a million copies in the first ten years. Yeah, it was. was um, it, but it wasn't it. If I recall, wasn't it still considered a semi success because of you know they only made X amount, thinking they weren't going to sell that many, and so they sold. Man, I gotta remember. I gotta re- refresh my history because they sold something like what they, they broke breaking even or something like pretty close to. Yeah, they. You know they. They didn't expect to sell tons because yeah. no RPG had. Right. But uh, yeah, I was just looking at the numbers the other day, and over the first ten years, they sold basically like eight hundred ninety thousand. Yeah, like it's, and that includes it's ridiculous that, to think about. Yeah, and that includes the two re- reissues of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, it just was not selling. But that's the uh, uh, that would be the the PlayStation and the Game Boy Advance versions. Um, I believe so. Okay. I'm just trying to I'm trying to yeah. trying to remember what years everything came out. But yeah. Yeah. Um and so like something that Square did to try to uh grease the wheels was they made a game called Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, which was They sure did. Yeah, it was meant to be cuz Square for whatever reason thought that the reason Americans didn't like RPGs was because they were too complicated. Yeah, it's so funny. And, they le- yeah. le- legitimately thought that and, yeah and so they dumbed down the game and uh you know sent it out and it failed because it gave no one what they wanted yeah. it wasn't it wasn't enough to overcome the genre barrier right. which kind of like what we were just talking about was just, it was seen as lame to play something like that um so they couldn't overcome that with this game but then the people who were already poised to buy it bought it and hated it because it was dumbed down and missing mm-hmm. all the things that they wanted from it Right, and they had already other experiences uh, at that time yeah. that were what, what they wanted um, be- before the, before Mystic Quest had come out. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, when Shigeru Miyamoto wanted to put Mario in an RPG, he talked to his good buddy Square because Square was doing six Final Fantasy games with Nintendo at that point. Um, and they're and- so good. Yeah, they are. And I mean, two is, two is arguable, but but they're but they're good. I mean, don't, don't let anybody badmouth. Two on the pod 
<laughs> Somewhat hilariously, though, the guy who directed Final Fantasy Mystic Quest also directed um, Super Mario RPG. Oh. And I think that this is actually where they succeeded in doing what Final Fantasy Mystic Quest was supposed to do. Because uh, not expecting this to be a big hit, especially because this is at the... This came out four months before the Nintendo 64. Yeah. So it's literally at the end of the life of the Super Nintendo. And it came out... And four months before the Nintendo 64 means four months before Super Mario... Or uh, Mario 64. Yep, absolutely. Which is one of the most successful games of all time. So they were not expecting this to be a hit. They just, you know... It's kind of like they threw it over the pond and hoped for the best. And it ended up selling over a million copies in the first year. <clears throat> it was this, yeah, it was the sixth most successful game that year. It's, like, it's, it's really kind of crazy to think about the fact of like, of how many it sold and kind of comparing it just, you could even put it up against like the sales of like right away, the sales of like Final Fantasy four and six, which were right. you know, two and three here respectively. <laughs> <clears throat> Ooh, it was a big cough but um yeah so it sold all these copies and uh i think that this was actually instrumental in paving the way for final fantasy 7 to become the first real blockbuster rpg in the u.s because it was also just like you know less than a year before final fantasy 7 came out mm-hmm. and it's like just all these which, things in a row which we i mean we don't really even need to talk about what final fantasy 7 did for (laughs) not just final fantasy but for you know rpgs uh in general and yeah uh it it, that it it kind of speaks for itself at this point it thunderously does um but it's not even my favorite uh final fantasy but it is it is good and and i really do appreciate what it did yeah it's undeniable what it is i also uh it's not my favorite not not even probably top five of final fantasy games but i mean Same. it is, yeah, it sure is, we're, it gonna is... Get, we're gonna get flack for that but like uh, yeah uh, it's yeah. probably not in my top five final fantasies either yeah but uh i think the unfortunate part of all of this too is that this was like the end of square and nintendo's relationship yeah and so there's never another you know super mario rpg there were other mario rpgs but they weren't this right and uh this mechanic that's built into super mario rpg which is the timing based Mm-hmm. like attack and defense yep i i'm sure there's another rpg that does it but i have no idea what it is yeah I, and i'm i'm trying to think too and I, I feel like i feel pretty confident there is i mean i'm not counting anything like because i think there's might be another like paper mario that might do it but like i'm not counting because yeah. i feel like that's the same series i'm trying to think yeah. of something uh, totally divorced from from mario rpg and I'm, yeah. I'm i'm coming up blank otherwise yeah I'm sure there is an example somewhere, but like it just feels like such a good feeling mechanic. Yeah, it fe- uh, you're absolutely right. It, it feels good. Yeah, and I think that that's like taking what is good about Mario as a as a uh, platformer and putting it into an RPG because it's like, yeah. how do you make a platformer into an RPG? It's like, well, give them something that you know physically feels good. Yeah, feels good in a similar way to like Mario jumping, you know, timing those jumps correctly. Um, and I think that was it. And it just it's like a mechanic that's lost that is yeah somebody should make someone someone use that it's really yeah, good so somebody <laughs> somebody do it now i mean we're we're ready for it like there's no need to wait just go just do it now yeah make it make that make that game yeah so and it, go ahead no i was just gonna i was just curious uh if you played any of mario rpg with your son and uh and, and what he thought if you if you did yeah, I actually played the, I played every minute of it with him. So sometimes when I play like uh you know, like 
a longer Final Fantasy game, I'll play more of the story parts by myself because he's not really interested in that. And I, right. and I also have to read all the dialogue. Yeah. Out loud. <laughs> right. Yeah, which makes sense. Um, I mean, and there's going to be a lot yeah. of dialogue unless it's voice acted. Yeah. And uh, so I played the entire thing with him and he loved it. He, he loved every part of it. Um, there's a moment in Super Mario RPG, which I'll, I guess I'll spoil right now, uh, where Bowser teams up with Mario. And yeah. that, like, that, that was like, blew, so cool. It blew his dang mind. It blew uh, my dang mind. It kind of still blows my dang mind thinking about yeah. it all these years later. Yeah, and he thought it was such a funny game, which I think is something that I kind of forgot about. It. It's a you know, it's a much lighter game mm-hmm. than Final Fantasy VI, Absolutely. especially in terms of story. But it's like it's a very comedic game, and uh, it's funny for me as a in my thirties, and it's funny for him as a four year old. Yeah. You know, so it's like it's just it's great, and the animation style is a. Uh, you know, more detailed than like Final Fantasy VI was, and kind of more cartoony. The characters are right. larger on the screen. So I think they were see... practicing some of that, uh, some of the graphical techniques they would later make real popular in Final Fantasy VII with like the oh for sure. Uh, I I hate to call it pre-rendered because it's not quite what it was for like the, the Nintendo hardware, but you could see that kind of like that direction that they were going, uh, and would ultimately really uh, just nail with 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 seven and then eight. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it, you know it's a polygony kind of art style, which mm-hmm. is similar to seven. Um, but yeah, I mean it is. So there's a lot of body language in the game that is funny too. It's like physical humor in a video game, which I'm not sure <clears throat> how much of that there was before. Final Fantasies had done a little bit of it to yeah. the extent that you could. Yeah. But I feel like this is also really where, you know, body language storytelling was used in video games. For yeah. at least console video games, the first time. Yeah, it was, and it and it genuinely does not get enough credit for how funny it is. Um, I think it's uh, like genuinely a not just funny for like, well, like you said before, it's not just funny for kids. Like, it legitimately has like funny stuff that like is funny to adults. Uh, yeah, I had a very similar experience. It's not my game, but uh, for today, but like with Earthbound, a lot of the jokes in that are super duper funny for adults, uh, and. <laughs> I was like, man, like even at uh, 14, 15, when I played Earthbound the first time, like, you know, I wasn't getting the jokes the way I get them now. And it's like, it's so good. We'll talk about Earthbound another day. But uh, man, the Mario RPG, same thing. Just just genuinely good, genuinely funny. Yeah. And uh, man, they need more games like this. Like <laughs> there are, I think one of the unfortunate things that Final Fantasy VII did is it kind of like catapulted RPGs to be to to kind of like chase premiere or prestige like movies and dramas yeah. even though Absolutely. we didn't have the term for prestige dramas back then but it's yeah. like movie or uh, video games became a lot more serious and a lot darker mm-hmm. and um there was less they stayed room that way for a long time yeah arguably even still mm-hmm. um and there's less room for just like a silly but very fun and interesting game yeah, like there's a, there's genuine joy to be had uh, playing. Uh, sorry, uh, Super Mario RPG. It's, yeah, uh, like there's just it's good. It plays well. It feels good to play. It's fun to have Mario doing things. It's cool with the Easter eggs, isn't uh, like Samus uh, in a in a bed in one of the inns or something. Yeah, so uh, is Link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I just think that uh, I don't know. They just you could tell the team had fun. Yeah, and it's in some ways it's almost like a postmodern written game. Because, like, Mario isn't just a silent protagonist. He is a silent protagonist, but he is also 
Mario. Right. Like everyone, everyone knows who he is. He's yeah. he's famous. He's Mario. Right. And so it's not, it's not the same as just like you know, a scrappy group of go getters go out to yeah. save the world. It's like Mario, the most famous person in the Mushroom Kingdom, right. is back. Yeah. <laughs> and he's hanging out. And he's doing um, a new a new thing. Yeah. He's and, got uh, menu commands. Yeah, and it's something that makes it very funny, even internally, because like uh. You know, the arrival of Gino, for example, is like yeah. the little the little kid does not want to play with the Mario doll. He wants to play with the Gino doll. You know, right. Like, who's Gino? And Mario's yeah. right there. You yeah. Know? And like legitimately launches a campaign to have Gino put in Smash uh, Smash Brothers ever, ever since. Because like Gino just has like these diehard followers, which in and of itself is hilarious and, and just and yeah. just fan, just fantastic. I just I yeah. love it. I think it's so I good. also think. It's so it's, I'm pretty sure it's the first game where you can play. No, I guess Mario Two is the first game you, where you can play Princess Peach, but yeah. uh, but this is the first intentionally Mario game where you can play Princess Peach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, she's awesome. She's such a good character. She, she uh, is, especially if you get the frying pan, which is a hidden weapon. Yeah, I think it's the I think it's the strongest weapon in the game. I think I, it's so good. I think so. I think it is. Uh, I can't even think. I can't think of anything else that's a better weapon. You know, like for their given character, than the frying pan is for Peach. I think the giant lazy shell is up there, but they're yeah. similar. Yeah. They're like crazy, crazy weapons. Ah, oh, so man, so good, such a good game. Oh yeah, there's even the Power Rangers in it. Hilariously, like there's just like a lot of. It's very, it's a game that's very aware, both that it's a game, but also that it's a piece of huge media interacting with other pieces of media at the right. time period. Yeah, and that makes it that. Uh, increases the humor rather than just be kind of like kitschy and annoying. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I I'm I'm a hundred percent on board. I think that's a really good way of of putting it. It's like it's a product of its time, but it doesn't feel dated, right? Does that make sense? Like it doesn't. It feels like it's done in a way that's like the the the, the designers made sure that you know it would be still fun and not uh, frustrating 20 some odd years in the future 30 some odd years in the future yeah and i think part of that a big part of that is the combat too where i mean the writing is good and it's fun and enjoyable but the fact that the you know there's not random battles so you're not doing thousands of battles yeah and the fact that the battles are never boring because you have to pay attention right and just like that small turn in the way that you interact with battles where like you have to pay attention because you need to time the hit. Uh, yeah. It makes battles kind of implicitly more interesting because, because you're just paying more attention. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, uh, it, well, the, here's the thing. Um, I, some games are guilty of this where you can do a feature, like set an auto battle because you're saying, uh, and not so many words. I don't know that I, I, I think this is a bad thing. I, I, I need to preface this, but like saying, you know, the battle, if you're not enjoying it, can be automated. Um, right. Not, not, the, not the same way that the Gambit system works in other uh, Final Fantasies, uh, one in particular. Um, but like, uh, I think Xenoblade does where you can just set the auto battling to, to, to just go. Um, but like, you, don't, you wouldn't want to do that in Mario RPG. Like the way yeah. that it's set up, you want to do the battles and it you never uh you've played it more recently than i have but i i don't feel like i ever felt the need like oh man i'm gonna have to go grind a couple hours so that right. i can get past this part that i'm stuck at usually it was a failure of my strategy 
uh, right. rather than being like super under leveled or anything at any point in that game yeah and i mean there's a max level of 30 yeah. to kind of give you an idea of you know it's, it's hard to be i like i like small numbers games though you know it's, Me too. it's definitely a small numbers uh because it feels manageable but it also almost feels more like intimate like right uh, i don't know it, you don't have people like you know like a final fantasy characters like killing god by the end of it <laughs> for, for for lack of a better term um, uh-huh. you know, all manageable like almost numbers you can calculate in your head if you needed to yeah and i think part of what makes it work is because there's not tons of battles like yeah. if you if you did need to go and grind for an hour um the thing that makes the combat interesting which is the timed buttons yep. would then would then become even worse if right. you had to grind right. because if you just have to like mind numbingly you know pay extra attention so you can time the hit right mm-hmm. uh it would become so much worse than and just... i gotta believe the designers knew that going in like, yeah and i think like... that it was a big lesson i think learned from chrono trigger where it's like because you can choose you know uh you see the enemies on the map you can walk yeah. into them or not you can just walk right by them yeah um and i think that that was definitely uh influenced by chrono trigger which yeah i don't know if chrono trigger is the first game that had that but it's definitely the the one the first one i think of when i think yeah of it's it's uh i'm I'm blanking on a, another example but i know there are a couple and it's i would say arguably the most famous of the 16-bit generation where yeah uh monsters were on the screen and you could avoid battles or if if you were going to go grind you could go to where you knew the the ones would be um because yeah. they, they would they would be there um but yeah like I, I i feel like mario rpg just does such a good job of um inviting you like to like come in and stay a while uh and yeah. and and enjoy like what like the the, the aspects it's offering it doesn't really have in my opinion, it's it's because it's not too long. Like it doesn't really have any downsides. Like it doesn't feel yeah. like it overstays its welcome. It doesn't feel like it's got unfair difficulty curves. It's uh, it's it's pretty. I mean, it's it's a good looking uh-huh. game. Even even today, in my in my humble opinion. Yeah, I think stylized art is better than photorealistic art in yeah. video games because uh, photorealistic art. You know, if you're making well, like Final Fantasy VIII, the way Final Fantasy VIII looks now uh not so good looked really yeah. good back then but right. it's like and final fantasy 7 kind of same same thing the, yeah. the real chunky characters mixed with the high resol- higher resolution backgrounds yeah whereas like if you're just like hey this is a cartoon it looks like this uh yep. it kind of gives it a timeless feel which i feel mm-hmm. is one of the strengths of the zelda um franchise or it's like they're not trying to make you know link look like a real person trying right. to make him look cartoony and yeah. so i think you can that's... play ocarina of time now almost 30 years later and uh still feels good yeah i i would even i was i was i was thinking more along the lines of just the 16-bit ones in general with all the sprite art but mm-hmm. as far as 3d games go that's that's still 100 percent true yeah i mean the the way to play uh, ocarina of time right now though is to play it like on a on a 3ds uh where it doesn't have like that smeared like uh like blurry super like hard to oh, yeah. kind of parse I, foggy look of the nintendo 64 uh on original hardware but yeah that i mean that's that's a personal preference some folks who grew up then are just like i like that that's that's my jam <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean well, i could talk about ocarina of time a lot too i almost picked that one for today but we'll i will save that, it for a different uh, day yeah um so what i was thinking um as i was just looking at our timestamps, we're at like an hour and 10 minutes i might save mine for the next uh the next pod 
Um, we can maybe just set it up to where we do, we can both go if there's time or we just do one because I felt like that was a really good length of time to talk about a game. Like yeah. I, I wouldn't want to cut like the, the Mario RPG one any shorter because I feel like, you know, it honestly almost it in some ways deserves its own episode. And maybe as we get going and get a flow, we can figure out ways to, to, to talk about them and whatnot. But, um, that could be a fun episode. Like once, especially once there's the three of us where, yeah, you know, we all, or you, I mean, I just play, I'm, I'm playing it again right now. So like, yeah, you guys could play it for the first time in however long. And yeah, for me, it would kinda... be, I haven't played it since, <clears throat> since it was new. Uh, I, oh, I, really? played it, I played it back to back, uh, played it twice when it first came out. Um, I just thought it was great and then never, uh, never hopped back in. And now that I have a uh, super Nintendo mini, I can, uh, I can do that. Um, so yeah, yeah I'm going to, I'm going to save my game for next time. Uh, okay. It's the, uh, the the only hint I will give is that uh, we have talked about it, but I mean, that could be anything, but like I kind of have a five-way tie at the top of my all-time rankings list, which uh, uh, in no specific order is, you know, Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger, uh, Live Alive, either the Switch remake or the original. I love that game. I think so many more people need to play that. Uh, Persona 5 and, uh, and Bloodborne with the, uh, uh, especially including... The, um, the DLC because it's real good. It's one of the best DLCs of all time. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's one of those one of those five that I will I will talk about uh, in a segment on the on the next episode because. Bum bum bum. Yeah, I wanna I, I wanna I wanna keep this around an hour if we can because I just think that uh, you got you got to like earn your two hour podcast. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Like, uh, and, I, and I think most two hour podcasts should be one hour podcasts. Yeah, yeah, they could be for sure. Like I mean, I'm, of, even, I'm okay up to about ninety minutes, even real. Yeah. If I if I had to say, but like I think once it gets past that, it's kind of like you almost forget like what they were talking about at the beginning, and then yeah. you're wondering if that was important. Like, and if <laughs> and if you have to wonder that, then you're like, oh, it, it probably wasn't. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like uh, how I you know we're 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 sort of learning as we go here. Um. You know, like show notes. We're mostly coming down to like all the stuff that we've talked about, I think our plan is going to be to release, you know, a podcast every two weeks or so if we can. But, um, yeah, I think if, uh, especially I think, feel like when school might be starting, uh, maybe that might be a time where we only do like one that month, uh, just so that we <laughs> don't feel stressed. Like this should feel fun the whole time. And like today right. was super fun and I want it to like always feel like this. Um, you know, so like I, I would like to, uh, be on that schedule like i think that expecting at least one a month hopefully two is is a good way to go and then we can um, give uh listeners more of a definitive uh schedule uh, like once we figure out how like the editing process goes i think that's gonna <laughs> determine a little bit but yeah, hopefully I it's think, not too hard i don't i don't think it will be i have a lot of experience a lot uh, ancient experience but it's very similar with uh, uh making music where you're, you're doing lots of mixing samples and with this one in theory other than like uh any music we add it's it should be two files that i overlap and uh, smush a, them together yeah in a in a in a daw and uh you know we'll just see how see how this goes but um that's about all i got uh personally um where can uh where can folks find you on the on the internet if they're <laughs> if they're, if they're trying yeah, the best place to find me is at my Substack. It's radicaledward.substack.com. We'll just put a link in the show notes. 
Yes. Other than that, I'm a uh, I'm kind of on Instagram and kind of on Twitter, so you can find yeah. me somewhere. If yeah, if, you, I, if you look hard enough, I'll, I'm on there. Yeah, I'm uh, uh, not really on Instagram because I, I'm I'm not a, a picture taking uh, person usually. Uh, that's kind of like more my wife's thing. Um, but I do use Twitter occasionally. Uh, a lot of it's just for talking with people that I already like know and uh, looking for like game deals. I'm always sending yep. sending Eddie the deals. <laughs> Uh, shout out to Wario C4. This is not sponsored by him, but he's always got those good deals. Um, but you can find me at Joe M. Owens at Twitter um, for however long that lasts until we have to find a new home. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's about all I got. Do you have uh, anything else? No, I think uh, we'll just, I don't know, seems good. Yeah, play it, play it by ear. Wrap it up. <laughs> if, this, if this if this was a YouTube video, we'd tell you to like and subscribe, et cetera, and all that. But uh, um, once we get this on any podcatchers, uh, leaving reviews, I think, will also help us. I yeah. think it's important to say that. We'll probably say that at the end of every episode. Uh, reviews. Uh, stars are great. Reviews, I think, are better. Um, I, I, yeah. I, really, I really do understand why um, people do uh, appreciate and ask for those at the end of their uh, podcast. So, all right. So I'm going to just look at the thing here and I'm going to, I'm going to stop my recording. Just, I 